Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag your mind Vladimir Putin sends a warning to the West Nuclear war becomes a real possibility if the West sends troops into Ukraine. Pierre Polyev has a message for the public, and it's pretty alarming as well. He's talking about Justin Trudeau's Winnipeg Biolab scandal. Later on in the broadcast, we'll dig into that. But uh, coming up right after our intro, Jeanette Easton from Refound Ed will join us our special feature interview tonight if you're a parent this will be a particular interest to you and to interest it'll be of interest i think to to the majority of you just because of the state of education that we find ourselves facing and you know what i'm talking about so don't go away we'll come back on the other side with i think one of the most important interviews we've done in months The information war is raging. Truth without integrity is worth nothing. Maverick News. Because those who have power and those who seek it must be held accountable. The world is watching. Join our family of truth seekers. Donate today and add your voice to the chorus of Maverick Knights. Donate at maverickdonations.com. Truth. Integrity. It's the Maverick way. Maverick News. The world is watching. I'm back, and joining us live now is Jeanette Easton. Welcome to the program. It's so nice to meet you face-to-face here, finally. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. I love everything you're about and that you stand for, so it's a real honor to uh, have you have you have me on here. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm very excited to have this conversation tonight because education, it, uh, it's one of the, the main concerns i think for people i think especially on the conservative side of the political spectrum people who value family values people who um, value the the traditional values that the country was founded on and you and you know people are always 
saying to me, I see no political solution. There's no hope. Uh, people are in a state of despair. And I keep saying, I don't agree. I, I think we're making progress. And there are people out there like yourself who are coming up with real solutions to the problems that, that you see facing us. You are part of this organization called Refound Ed. It's, it's an education alternative. Can you just, rather than have me butcher the explanation, can you just explain to our viewers, what is Refound Ed? So Refound Ed was a, kind of just started to evolve naturally into an ecosystem. So uh, I had seen what was, so my background personally is I have 20 plus years in social services and education. So when I seen them bringing in very toxic, political, politically driven ideologies, I've seen them in closed ecosystems like group homes, mental health facilities, and knowing the outcome in these smaller ecosystems, I knew that, um, you know, everything was just one bad Bud Light commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't even laugh, but yeah. yeah. It's, uh, so it is going to, uh, you know, they so seeing what was happening a lot of us a lot of educators were morally torn about we, we couldn't continue on this trajectory um you know a lot of us were driven by passion you come out of college and university um you know i want to change the world so they everyone is driven by passion and heart and then to be kind of pushed to take on or teach according to these policies that are just absolutely insane um you know we decided to you try and fight the system, but then it gets to an advocacy definitely has its place and should always have a place because it keeps the yang at bay. You always need that ying. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time as well, we need to build or else it's like it's like Groundhog Day. You're living, you're kind of going, you know, running that wheel over and over without, mm -hmm. um, you know, a different outcome. So we want a different outcome. So what I did was um, I had opened a micro school and had since sold it, but I approached a lot of people who started to build education options from learning pods to micro schools um, and, and private schools and other small supplemental uh, options. And I was like, hey, who wants to work together? And next thing you know, uh, we had a conference going, over 30 vendors. Uh, we were so blessed to have Dr. Byron Bridal, uh, Bonnie Mallard, Rocco Galati, a um, lot of just uh, Roshan Killian, a lot of big names that just genuinely care about children and wanted to support us. And uh, hundreds of people showed up. So I was like, okay, there's a need, there's a want. We are actually the majority. <laughs> So, which was really awesome. And, but looking at how everything was starting to evolve, I started diving into research. And something that you might wanna look into as well, um, and your viewers is uh, there's something, they tell you their plans. And so they bring in the chaos, capitalize on the problems, and then capitalize on the solutions. But we want to make sure that the little guy, the community is, receiving the um, capital and not just the top tier. So uh, Holland IQ, H-O-L-O-N-I-Q, uh, if you look at global learning landscape, they also have a global health landscape and a global 
climate change slash geoengineering landscape, um, they actually there's it's all it's like a data it's like a data funnel, I guess. Sure, I can bring that up on the screen here so people can see what you're talking about. So if you look at global learning landscape, um, and even if you scroll down to uh, the learning section, it shows that they're anticipating a growth uh, in the education sector of $10 trillion. And so considering they have all our tax dollars already and already have the majority of capital in the world, um, it would be nice to kind of direct the flow to the families, to the educators that are quite frankly paying to work. They've invested everything into building new schools, um, building out their communities. And some of them haven't been paid in a while because they're just so invested in the children. And we want to go beyond that survival and go into um, you know, a place of thriving. So, so explain to me again, what is Holland IQ? What so, is this? So this is, um, they communicate the plans of what they have for the future. So this is, if you're wondering what they have in store, this will give people information and direction of what they want to implement. Who, 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 is, who specifically is they? Uh, I guess the WEF and the powers that gotcha. be. And, right. Um, so, you know, it kind of tells you where the information's coming from, from the uh, references, and you'll start seeing, um, you know, the connections and... Yeah. Uh, the money trails, I guess, essentially. Yep. And yep. so we want to, but the hierarchies are still the same. You have a top-down hierarchies, and it becomes only a, a few with a controlling interest. And we don't want that. We're actually proposing that we create, the grassroots creates digital solutions so that we stay, its own ecosystem, so that we can compete in that market because if we don't invest in innovation as a grassroots, we will be left behind. Right. Um, yeah. And so, and quite frankly, these educators deserve the investment. Um, and we can create solutions that actually fund themselves where families and educators are being paid passive and uh, primary sources of income. And it just, you can create systems that actually fund themselves just naturally through community. So you're actually so flipping the hierarchy where community dictates the terms and you're co-creating co-investing you are so in our current systems the top tier they pocket pat each other so they pay down so say like a program a big company wants to get into education they pay the gatekeepers for entry the little guy, the ones on the bottom that work the front line, don't see that, though, that funding. So we're proposing a series of affiliate programs, a series of um, like booking systems, education management systems, where the community that creates the solution, we're actually contributing to each other. So let me just slow down here for just a moment. Mm -hmm. what, what you're saying is these globalists have effectively through corporations and their network of nation states have overlaid global control on our education system and they're using their influence and their money to implement their agenda and indoctrinate um, our children 
to make sure that they are in compliance and in lockstep with their agenda as the next generation matures. You are in the process of setting up a parallel education system where it sounds like it, it, it uh, will in some way be self-sustaining financially um, in spite of the fact that these guys have really taken control of the money through the governments and the funding through the corporations like the massive multinational corporations that um, I guess they they invest is that what you're saying in the education systems which would be universities colleges um, and even right down into elementary schools even though here in Canada we have a public education system that is supposed to be funded by the state or the government but you're saying these corporations still have financial influence over what's going on absolutely um, they dictate the terms of uh, which companies get you know get their programs pushed um, they have to they very rarely do the small smaller programs get access and okay. so we want to actually give do the opposite where instead of gatekeep we open the doors and naturally the best of the best so when you give funding to communities directly to smaller entities supporting local um, there's more responsible um, money management and mm -hmm. because the community has that choice they are watching they are seeing where their money is going and when the kids are happy the parents are happy they see the worth but when the money is getting just cut from the top yeah they don't see it but they don't realize like it's a substantial amount that could really be invested i think you said in another podcast there's an epidemic of mental health and oh yes nail on the head um because when a child is when you're being taken care of in terms of your mental health they're naturally more receptive to learning so um mm -hmm. and what we're finding in these small um education initiatives they are being led by education-based entrepreneurs the people that do not just the people that teach so even they're being a part of this process learning that you can build a new which is amazing because no matter how things work out kids will always be motivated by the fact that they could just rebuild and know that it's possible um just kind of like a lot of people think you know unions have always existed i'm like no our parents did it it wasn't like mm -hmm. caveman unions <laughs> and all these like <laughs> acronyms and governing yeah. bodies and um you know and and teachers pay five to ten thousand dollars a year so they pay with their taxes and they pay through their paychecks if we actually took those funds and invested into community they could actually make money off that money and they can choose where it's allocated which means that it's nice to have that choice because then okay so let's slow down a little bit because we're i think we're getting maybe just a little bit ahead of ourselves in a way that maybe people at home are having a little trouble following let's just take the little building blocks here one step at a time how exactly is this new new parallel system being set up all right do you have schools that 
well, you, you must have schools of some kind being set up. So can you explain that? So everyone is their own school. So we want a decentralized system. So every school is their own entity, their own small business. So okay. think, um, if we compare it to what exists today, think about like the Amish community or the Mormon community or the Jewish community. They have tidings, right? They contribute to a bigger community pot and then they contribute to their local community pots so mm -hmm. that um, you know they can stay afloat and function. And so we're proposing um, to adopt systems like that that have been in operation, but they take care of their own. And so we're thinking, why don't we do it to scale? Well, every business still stays separate because a decentralized system is harder to control, which is better. And But we come together to get certain perks because if we work as a collective, we have more bargaining power. Um, sure, one example, an, an education cooperative. Exactly. So uh, one way is um, we got 20% off of insurance. We got group health benefits. So we're garnering the perks that they want as a collective and as the numbers swell, they can capitalize on those perks. But instead of just getting it taken from the back end of their paycheck, they just would have to upfront. So um, even the way we consume is going to change. Education is going to change on every level. Okay, so you're having, people are setting up small schools, private schools. Yes. In communities across, like cities across the country. And then they can join this education cooperative and you have the benefits of having something that's very locally run and managed at the local level, the, like truly the grassroots level, but now they're becoming part of a larger collective that gives them economies of scale to purchase things such as insurance, as you mentioned, and maybe even chalk for a, for a chalkboard, right? Any, any of the, the inputs that they need for their business you could be bulk purchasing, working together to, to get um, better economies of scale, better efficiencies. Fair enough. And I think even maybe share resources like supply teachers, textbooks, um, subscriptions to software, the list would go on and on, right? You are a clever, clever man. That is exactly um, what we're trying to do because um, everybody has so much um they're so smart and have so much to bring to the table separately together we're getting resources like a friend's husband got us the you know the benefits um like another provider um you know they got us the insurance discount and then they're meeting with other people and next thing you know people are offering up services because they're so motivated to invest in kids because mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of a no-brainer. They're our future, and it's very, we have to plant the seeds. Even if we don't see the shade, we still have to plant the seeds because they're our most precious resource, and they are being indoctrinated at the highest form. And so education also, for those who might be new to the kinds of schools, it's not only private schools. So what's emerged now is, so a learning pod is a one to five, like one to six ratio. Um, which is a tricky, sustainable thing. But for special, like for a special needs group, it's nice to have a smaller uh, group, right? Because you get more attention. 
Um, we do find a nice little sweet spot is the micro school, which is um, two or more learning pods. So you have like a two to 10 ratio. Um, because then, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, the apocalypse doesn't happen. <laughs> it's good for safety reasons and kids are just rascally, right? So it's kind of a nice to have. Um, older kids with a learning pod might be more like might be ideal. So it depends on the needs of the kids and the needs of whoever is, um, you know, supporting the kids as well. And then you have private schools and you have um, like uninspected private schools. So they're still registered, but they can take some big, bigger numbers. Um, our schools are also finding that a nice sweet spot for those numbers is like eight to 10 kids. So you can still provide um, individual attention, but at the same time, give them the, you know, address their unique needs. Um, and then you, ha you have inspected and more, you know, where you get credentials. The whole credential system is also a little bit of a lot of boo-boo. <laughs> like, for example, is like if you have a gifted child who's moving through the system, um, you can have like a 12-year-old graduating from university. If they have the intellectual acumen, they can mm -hmm. move forward like any other gifted um, child. So it's... So you have a greater degree of flexibility with a, with a, a system like this than you do in some um, mass provide like a public education mass education system where everybody's kind of you know um, held at the same level and you have to go through everything at exactly the same pace um, it, it allows people to excel allows students to excel and recognize exceptional um, exceptional talents or, or abilities right is, th is that fair Oh yes, because we've actually, we're not only uh, addressing educators, we're also addressing creators. There's a lot of industry leaders. Like uh, I was approached by an architect who wanted to do workshops for children uh, about you know basic principles and foundations of architecture. So imagine learning that from an architect. Um, I ha there's someone who's, we have a few engineers that want to help children build their own uh, drones who want to build their own cars that run it on different types of uh, things. We have um, like different types of you know, fuel, fuel. fuel. <laughs> we have um, a lot of farmers that want to teach how to make your own, um, like how to milk, how to milk a, like a goat or a cow, or how to make your own <laughs> cheese, taking care of animals, which they love, um, you know, connecting to nature, forest schools. Um, and the beauty is homeschooling has blown up but you could also do whatever you want you can go you can if you need to put your kid in four days you can also on the fifth day if you still need to work pick a supplemental option where they're going to go learn coding or learn something specific from a professional that's a little bit higher level um, mm -hmm. that might be out of the comfort zone of the school or the parents um, so you're just upskilling your kids and sure. nothing <laughs> which yeah. is um the outcome has been really cool. Um, and so I do see us investing more when our kids are younger and actually less when they're older. So you mentioned homeschooling kind of exploding and becoming more and more popular, right? Especially, I'm sure, since the pandemic and with all these issues like, I mean, I hate to say it out loud, but, you know, drag queen story time and, you know, all of these issues that for some parents, uh, it did real concerns and and legitimately so it, you, you want your children 
to be raised the way you want them to be raised, not the way the state wants them to be raised. So for a lot of people, I can understand why they're pulling them out of the system, maybe even for issues which will like vaccinations be another issue that would, would be coming to play here. Uh, absolutely. You know, some people, it's varying degrees of awakeness or aware, we'll say awareness mm -hmm. um, to, you know, some people want some, but not all. Some see what's happening, but you know, it's people should have the freedom to choose what they what's right for them, but people don't want it. And right now, actually, in March, they're going to be sending out suspension letters um, saying that it is mandatory and they're going to be suspended. Um, and a lot of parents don't know their rights. Uh, Vaccine Choice Canada is amazing at communicating, um, you know, a lot of the things that are happening in that regard and Mama Bear, Mama Bear's project, too. And um, yeah, they just don't want to comply in the sexualization mm -hmm. of children. It's actually happening at every level to the point where it's actually quite, we should be concerned about morality, uh, the epidemic of morality in general. Um, I learned recently about something uh, called sugar. Oh, yeah, that's us. Yeah, there, there's your website. <laughs> so, and we're <laughs> rebuilding. We, um, we are looking for investment to level up the tech side of things. So um, anybody who has uh, money to share and wants a return on the investment, it would be, um, you know, there it would definitely be a substantial return because we understand that, um, you know, there's trust built and it would be um, done with a lawyer with all the, you know, T's crossed and I's dotted. Um, and so like everything is put together and ready to roll. Um, so are these schools all going to be bricks and mortar schools or are you going to have like some done out of homes or will it be some online learning? How, do, how does all that work? It's done with all of it. Um, so we'll, we're going to have a combination of everything and some educators are coming up with new curriculum options, new assessment options that are not standardized tests, just a new way, a new perspective to look at education that people may have not considered in the past. Um, and an example of how well they're doing, we have one school that grew from four kids to three locations. They have won an award, uh, Education Conference 2.0 in Las Vegas. We are going and we are going to be in a room with big thinkers in education. Uh, I asked her, I'm like, do they know what you're about and uh, how? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, yeah. And I and so they but even in the US, they have the red states and the blue states. Even when you like look at the Harvard education conferences, which I attended virtually as well. If you go and take a look, you'll see who's talking from the red states and the blue states. And you can tell um, there there's a lot of divisiveness there too. So it's not um, so there is going there is both kind of perspectives. But I do think our um, perspective on like a neo traditional approach. So skills of old, skills of new, and skills of the future. There's enough space for all of it. And you did mention that you're uh, you know you're. you're you're into the digital age because you don't want to be left behind. So many, so many people I speak to who are um, concerned about the way our government has been treating people, government overreach. Uh, they, they, they're worried about things like central bank digital currency, digital ID. So they're at a point in, in 
where they want to just reject anything digital. But running into the woods and living in a lean-to isn't maybe isn't maybe the the best option in a modern society you're sort of at that point removing yourself from society completely and and uh i think you know kind of moving backwards so you're focused on making sure that you're that the children are able to compete in a digital future absolutely and a lot of parents are concerned too about well, where do we go from here? Even like as small children, they, they're very uh, focused on academia and so are we, don't get me wrong, but its application will be um, changed. And like an example of higher education is uh, like D Dr. Byron Bridal and Bonnie Mallard, and I believe someone else, they're coming up with a la uh, science lab school, which I'm sure you'll be able to ask questions. <laughs> Um, which is really awesome. Uh, Jordan Peterson is coming out with uh, Peterson Academy and his uh, daughter, Michaela Peterson, $5,000 for a Bachelor of Arts. So, and a lot of industries are taking lead on educating um, at, high, at a higher level. So instead of learning from um, these universities where they're just spewing theory, one third of those post-secondary um, entities will kind of survive the rest are going to die out because the return on investment isn't there so is jordan peterson's school going to be part of your organization or do you know yet uh that would be awesome we're gonna put that <laughs> into <the> <laughs> um, but it would be yep. great to like just develop connections too so that like we're not going to our niche is going to be zero to 18 we're focusing on the children but we do want to create funnels into higher education options that align because parents are going to say like what's next where can my child go and we want a plethora of options along with mentorships um like think of how our parents came with $10 in their pockets and um, they learn the skills in, you know, in the job. And right now they have the most assets out of all the, um, the boomers have like almost a few trillion in assets based on, but our generation is so right. one of those things so where if they can come with nothing and establish that much. Why can't we, um, I guess, start from their point and work our way up as well i think it's possible so one of the challenges i'm sure for parents who want to participate in this is that it's the same as it would be for anyone sending their children to a private school or even homeschooling a, a portion of your taxes are taken whether you like it or not isn't that correct and then still allocated to the public school system whether your child attends or not so it is going to cost, or will it cost, a, a little bit more for, for parents to send their children to, into a system that, that you're setting up? So a price point for a learning pod to private school can range anywhere between 800 on the low end to 1500. It depends on like the, how big their facility is, the amount of insurance, more people, more resources needed. So um, that's, that's what, per month? Uh, per month, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, every kind of, every flush, every wad of toilet paper <laughs> costs right. money. So, unfortunately, you know, the math has to math. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And people need to understand that people can't live on empty either. And right. so it's relearning financial literacy is a big thing. 
um, and understanding the compensation. So we did put out petitions for education funds. We did get a lot of pushback by, um, so those that are more affluent and can afford it, I understand that they wouldn't want money from the government. And I get that. But there are a lot of people who are struggling and a lot of them are special needs. There are waiting lists for two plus years for uh, funding. And, you know, a lot of them are single parents and they could use the resources. In my ideal world, if I could completely, <laughs> it was up to me, I would have it so that they could allocate or choose if they invested in public school, private school, homeschooling, or invest in a charity of the, of their choice, like the person's choice. That would be an ideal so that the money follows the child. And then they're investing in their local communities, which will just push growth and encourage more growth. It's that uh, it would be awesome, but I don't know <laughs> that it'll take, but we, but it's tricky part because if they do do that, if they do give money, they could tie it into digital IDs. People are not wrong. They could tie it to like, you have to participate in this element of society to get this, um, you know, mm -hmm. that's the carrot. So I understand people's reservations, but I would love to increase access to those that are more impoverished so we can, um, you know, improve the morale of all of society. So what would you say, would, give, give me some of the, the, the main differences that are in place or that people will, will experience. What, what, what's the main thing or the main things that separates you from the public system? Um, well, everybody ha brings all these unique skills. They're all aligned. They believe in freedom. They want to uh, be creative. The parents have a voice. They can come and speak and share. They can uh, participate as much or as little as they can um, because some parents are very busy and have a lot of, you know, you know, they're choosing between um, providing financially and providing, you know, moral you know just being there for their child right. and it's very so they have to put their child somewhere a lot of people are like everyone should homeschool i'm like but that's not the reality of everyone um i have worked in shelters for single mothers um and so like those that's not realistic for populations that are on the lower end of finance of uh you know the socioeconomic spectrum and we need to make it so that they can so one example i guess a more storytelling kind of example would be like i came from humble beginnings my mom was a cleaning lady um and she worked for very affluent uh well she was a nanny and cleaning lady she worked for very affluent people um that had corporations law firms but they made her feel like part of the family and so they would invite us to events and my mom's uh she has some social anxieties she's nervous she didn't speak english very well and she would take us to these events that she was invited to. And I'm like, mom, like, why, why suffer? Why take us if you're so, if you're kind of nervous? And she goes, because I want to give you access to a life I can never give you. And, mm. and it did make a difference because like one person had a, 
their own business and brought me to trade shows where I was doing demonstrations. Um, I would never have access to that had I stayed in, you know, I grew up in a rougher neighborhood. Um, so those that are grow up in a, in a neighborhood, the government sets up these systems to keep them down. And we want mm -hmm. to increase the access to them because kids that are behavioral, kids that are at risk, which I've worked with a lot of like gangs, teenage moms, like the worst of the worst that people said had no hope. The second that you invest your time and energy into them, when they actually get into nature, like inner city schools don't understand what it's like to be like farming and agriculture. But when you put them in that scenario, I've had some of the worst behaved kids just thrive and kind of they needed to get their hands dirty. They're high energy kids. They're wild. <laughs> they're strong willed. But those are my favorite kids because they were intelligent. They were strong. They were like they would change the world and we need to be able to open those doors for them. Now, I used to run a business. Mm -hmm. well, I still do run a business, but I, what I'm getting at is I had a, uh, a qualified school teacher working with me in my business because she couldn't get a teaching job. So I don't know what the job market for teachers is like right now, but is that is the, the job market such that there's, there's um, an abundance of teachers available to become involved in what you're doing? So it's a catch 22. So teachers from the system are used to their golden handcuffs. Okay. <laughs> so they're used to, uh, you know, their um, a certain price point. And, you know, as a startup business, you can't always meet them where they're at right away. It's not that these um, people that are opening schools, that it's not that they don't want to, it's just that they need to work up to it um, because the economy is right, really tough right now. So unfortunately they feel stuck. We have a lot of teachers on mental health loops, so many. Any teacher that could retire, out. So we have shortages of teachers in the system. The alternative education sphere, a lot, it's still very new. So people aren't sure what to, there's still kind of, it's a transition period. So we can find them. It's just, um, it is tricky because they also have kind of a minimum, I guess, cost per month that they were hoping to achieve. And also a lot of the ed tech companies um, are offering a lot of these new teachers more money. Uh, my, my friend's cousin, she was in teaching for five months. She was offered 70K and she was gone. <laughs> So they're getting poached. Uh, anybody who's viable is getting poached. And um, then you have what's left over. So public schools are short on teachers. They have unqualified edu uh, educators that are, I'm not saying, the more indoctrinated, I've seen really great educators that aren't fully educated. And I've seen really good ones that are fully educated. <laughs> <laughs> So it could go any yeah. direction you have to be like, but we want those that are kind of have a, natu a, a knack for it and are have some degree of some frame, you know, some foundation because there are some skill sets that help. But once the public system, it's gonna implode on itself because it, you're gonna have an increase in violence because the children have borne for witness to really bad bullying behaviors from adults for the last three to four years. 
um, the ripple effect I knew was going to catch up. Um, so you have a lot of, um, and people can't take it anymore. They can't take the, um, the rebelliousness of the kids. And I don't blame their rebelliousness. Um, and the teachers with the most grit and have the most capacity have exited and started their own schools because they have grit. So why not do things their way because they're capable, intelligent, and they have the heart for it. So it's, um, yeah, it's just volatile across, it's like really hard across the board, right? You have a, a new emerging education ecosystem that is, you know, finding its way. And then you have this old system that's imploding, but it, the straw will, it will never not exist, the public system, but it's going to be reduced significantly. And my worry is that it, public school will be a sentence for the less fortunate and which will continue to drive that, the gap. And so, and with a lot of immigrants coming, what happens when you have a lot of immigrants coming who are stuck in that and then bringing in a universal basic income is a lot easier because the top will naturally, you know, take leadership roles and will be able to be above that. But we also want to be able to, there's a lot of uh, great creativity and a lot of great souls that are, that maybe grew up with less, but they're still very intelligent and capable. And it would be nice to kind of just increase that um, access. And we, if we give people choice of where they invest, everything will naturally evolve into something more beautiful. But I don't know that that's what they want. So actually, the, the, the kids that attend will be in a more nurturing environment and even a safer environment overall. Hands down. And if you look at our social media, and we're pretty much on all social medias, um, at Refound Education or at Refound Ed. Um, on Instagram, I guess I have my biggest audience. Once you look at the videos, it is so heartwarming and so incredible um, just to see them engaging in their learning activities that you won't want to, you'll be so drawn to it. You'll, your kids will be drawn to it. I guarantee if you were any a parent were to show their children the, the images and the, and the videos of what learning could be, they would just, it would be like fish to water. Just, they would be so, and we have to pull away from, and tech, it has its place, but at the same time, we have to connect more to nature. Tech skills are very easy to acquire because it just is. So it's very important for our kids to be immersed in nature, immersed in like, you know, that space where they can be creative and parents are going to see that they're going to have opportunities to do so. Um, and just learn real collaboration and real teamwork. And how, how much influence will the government continue to have over your system? There are, I think, laws in place and standards that they will superimpose over what you're doing. They require you to meet certain standards. May like tell me what those are. So, um, yes, the Ontario curriculum we exceed those standards hands down. Um, they see the flaws, and um, they have real world, real applications that are incorporated in the alternative, more grassroots. Um, initiatives. 
and they use and they see how to use math the financial literacy has is it's more substantial <laughs> um because the educators are doing it um our system like schools kill creativity you know that uh popular um ted talk uh i forgot his name escapes me but if you look up schools kill creativity it also it doesn't only happen only in the children it happens in the educators and adults as well and a lot of these educators started with so much creativity so much um they had these wings they wanted to fly and next thing you know they get clipped <laughs> they're like pigeons under mm -hmm. a under a bridge it's uh and that's not you know a growth place and once i learned because i went into it i actually originally never wanted to be a teacher i was kicked out of high school um and i became a college professor for a short time too <laughs> that's how i learned the credentialing system was um not what i thought it was and i learned about a lot of the loopholes with the ontario curriculum how to i started teaching friends and i got in trouble actually because it would cut into their funding if i once I taught them how to cut the red tape. And actually when I was working in high schools with a lot of the rascally kids, I had kids coming from other schools seeking me out. And we're talking about the naughty kids, the ones that are saying, oh, you're not gonna amount to anything. You don't care about your future. You don't wanna be successful. These kids are taking multiple buses from the roughest of areas saying, miss, I heard you know what's up. I need your help. And so when people tell me kids aren't motivated, everyone's motivated to be successful. That is such a crock and it's an easy way out. Because what kind of, what are we communicating to parents? Like people wonder why parents are upset or why educators, you're going up to parents and telling them that there's no hope for their children. What kind of response are you going to expect in return? You're going to these children and saying, oh, you're not going to succeed in life. That's and and from what I'm seeing on the website, uh, a big focus for you is building character, building self-esteem, helping to create the leaders of tomorrow. Yes, and we're going to have a gap. So um, like our generation, uh, we have a little bit more grit and we're a little bit more, you know, <laughs> we don't mind ruffling some feathers, um, but the next generation, they're younger. They don't have the confidence to say uh, they might be rebellious, but they're it's more of an uncontrolled rebellion where we have more life experience. So we understand where to how to harness our uh, rebellious nature where they're more just wild uh, in the wild, which I love. They're so because they are motivated. They need guidance. They wouldn't have enough um, intellectual ability to set up these systems but they are going to take our place. So once we set up these ecosystems and put the infrastructure, like every every industry has infrastructure, right? So once we set up the infrastructure, I would, we can mentor the next generation. They're gonna see it's possible. And that was one of the responses at the conference. Uh, we did another conference um, with Julie Panessi. She was amazing. And we had a lot of young teachers come up to us and say, I didn't know that this was possible. And I'm like, if our parents can get off the boat and build unions, 
<laughs> why on earth can we recreate systems? Why can't we just, everything is man-made. We can recreate anything we want. Absolutely sure. Anything. Sure. Um, and once we're a large enough group, we can push, because they will push governance. They will try and like um, push the their version of a curriculum. But you, our, when you say that you're talking about what government? Government, the powers that be. Um, and not to say there shouldn't be safety protocols and that kind of thing. I'm not saying that um, because I am aware of the other side of society having uh, worked with, you know, the police and child protection and stuff. So yeah. I know how um, there's a lot of uh, bad apples out there. But at the same time, like we can also as a group, as a collective of intelligent people push back. And then if we group with other groups, across industry that are aligned, across like with the homeschooling group, even if we're separate entities, if they try and push for too much governance, we can come together as a collective and advocate together. Because if we are the majority, um, like HSLDA, they're an amazing entity. They've been around for decades. What is HLS, HSLDA, what's that? That's the Homeschooling Home uh, Legal Defense Association. Um, and so they support parents that want to homeschool and they have increased their numbers. They're in Canada and the US, but there's other homeschooling uh, groups that are, you know, it's religiously specific, but they all come together, the homeschoolers. And when they try and superimpose policies, they have lawyers that come together and kind of try and put them in check and make sure that the policies are working in favor of the homeschoolers because they found that homeschoolers actually exceed post-secondary expectations. Like the results are mm -hmm. there, the research is there. And because they're more, they have been more established, um, they do have like research that supports all the things that they've been saying. So what was it that started all this? Was it the pandemic or was this um, beginning to form even before that? Um, unschooling was always popular. Um, I like 10 years ago, um, I had a friend who started um, Disrupt HR. Um, so she was super young. <laughs> she just got together with other people and said, hey, we're doing a conference. I'm like, you can do that? Okay, let's see where this goes. So she got a whole bunch of industry leaders in um, across various, like a lot of tech industries um, and HR professionals, and they were sharing innovation. So I was, um, I was voted in to speak about bridging the gap between education and industry. And so all these industry leaders are like, I love what you're saying. I love what you're talking about. Uh, we have to unschool and unteach all our new employees and then reteach and re um, they have to relearn everything. So it just makes sense. I push, I brought my ideas to the school board, all gun ho at the time. <laughs> like, Hey guys, I have some great ideas. <laughs> and of course I was shot down faster than I could speak. So clearly I was in the wrong room and it just, it's been deteriorating ever since. And then of course with the pandemic, um, it was, you know, it was, they want to create chaos because they wanted to create systematic change and they wanted to privatize, but they want to do things to their benefit. And I'm saying, let's flip that script. And there's a lot of us that are saying it um, yeah. and say, you know, let's make sure it works to our benefit and make sure the chips lie 
and 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 our system is is set up in a way that does allow you to pull out of it and and create your own well to, to, to teach your kids the way you want to teach them and what you're doing here really is counteracting globalism with like the absolute like true grassroots a, a true grassroots response to that absolutely and we're we have an educa a virtual education summit um, you can see it on Eventbrite and you can see it on our website. Um, the tickets are free, but you will get a sense of the caliber of educators that um, we have that are building. And you are going to be very impressed. I promise. So what, what is, when is that event? It is March 5th to 9th. Okay. Is and there a... Uh, is there a web page I can put up on the screen to show people? Uh, yeah, you can put up, um, you can bring up the refoundedca. Just go to listings. Okay. And uh, there. there's listings there. Yep, and it's also on Eventbrite. So if you scroll down. I'll keep, I'll keep scrolling. Oh, page two. Ah. So hopefully with investment, we can make it a lot more streamlined. Oh, I guess you have to go under events. And where do I find events? So events, events. just go to like right here on the all listings, go to social and events. Got it. Okay. You can also look it up. Uh, there it is. So you can also look it up on Eventbrite. Okay. And everything will become a lot more streamlined. Uh, tech requires a lot of investment to function in a way that is um, seamless. And that's mm -hmm. what we're up against too, because they have so much capital and they make it so convenient where when you're working from a grassroots level, you have to, to get to your goal, you have a few more rungs up the ladder to climb. Um, so, but stay tuned because we are like, we are, like trains on a track. We are full steam ahead and we are not giving up. And we know we've been consistent for years since the beginning. And um, this is just too important to not be committed. Now, you mentioned the province of Ontario here in Canada. Um, and we do have a lot of viewers in the, in the U.S. as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but this isn't just restricted to Ontario. This will you hope expand across the country is that correct uh yes so we want to ideally be across uh, canada to start we want to make sure that we have a strong foundation uh we have have had some education initiatives in the u.s saying to come down there um my husband's american he would love that um but he came from california but i don't think the california he left is the california that's mm. there anymore um but it's not off the table, but I also want to caution about being too widespread because it's our children. And so we want to make sure that we help at home first. Sure. Make sure we have a strong foundation and safety protocols and things that kind of. So once that tech investment is there, we can make sure that we have just the perfect people in place to really elevate things. And um, like HSLDAs in Canada and the US, which um they are fantastic and so I, I think getting too large is uh i don't know if i would if we would stay in control <laughs> i actually like the idea of multiple people 
because you have to collaborate. Once you have too much of a monopoly, it, I don't know if you ever watched Mr. Robot. <laughs> no, I don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's one of those you have to uh, monopolies aren't great. I like that there's multiple players in the game um, because then it just stays more decentralized. So we are going to work with Canada first. Once we're there, we'll see where things go. I don't think right. we need to have all the answers right away. But right now, but what I'm getting at is it's not just Ontario. You, I think you have, I think you're primarily in Ontario now, but you are, you already have a plan to expand into all the other provinces. What about, and maybe the territories? I, I don't know. Yes, we, we have, um, we have some contacts, of course, like Alberta's, uh, we have more contacts in Alberta, uh, BC, uh, very limited, but we have to like build reputations with community leaders and, um, and go from there. And some provinces are smaller populations and they have larger homeschool networks. So it depends on, um, so there'll be more options in some provinces based on population growth and density and uh, less in other options. So it would be nice to be everywhere across Canada. And um, you know what a funny thing is, we have some, a lot of people in Canada aren't really loving Canada right now. So we have a lot of people fleeing to <laughs> Costa Rica or they wanna be snowbirds before they retire. Um, and they just kind of expanding their wings and some are opening uh, like jungle schools and so they actually have like roots in Canada and then they're expanding into um, other parts, which I think could be kind of cool. I'm not sure where that's going to go. Um, but when you have like a trusted kind of home base and you know who kind of like think about like a lot of religious groups do missions where they go to different places. And right. I think it would be really cool to kind of have some trusted locals that we can do, I guess, an exchange. Um, we have someone in Mexico who's building, so I, I don't think he's ready to announce anything yet. But um, yeah, we could have some pretty interesting options as we evolve. And that is pretty interesting. So are are there prerequisites for the students to, to, to enroll or uh, how will you just, you know, you can only take so many kids. So how would you end up deciding or do or can you just accommodate as many kids that that come forward well all the schools can accommodate um lots of some more some less because every school is separate so uh some can accommodate more some can accommodate less depends on um you know how large or how small some have like a rent business like spaces or larger spaces or have uh, large scale homesteads that can accommodate more kids and some don't. So I do encourage parents to take a look. Um, if there, I do have a massive list, not everybody's registered, but I do have a larger list. So if there are parents that um, don't see a lot of options in your area, please email info at refound, R-E-F-O-U-N-D-E-D dot -E C-A and I can send a custom list at, until we um, influx. Like we have to get people to make sure everyone's signed up and that takes time to grow any kind of um, online platform. Info at refounded.ca. Re yeah. I'll put it up on the screen for people so you can 
email Jeanette at info at refounded.ca. Um, I'm not sure where else to go from here. The uh, If someone wants to set up a school, can anybody do that? Or do you have to be a teacher? Or could it be a business person that oversees it but brings teachers in? Or how would all of that work? Are there regulations in place? I, I'm curious. So that is a fantastic question. Uh, yes, we can help you do that. We do classes. If you go on to, um, if you go to my Instagram, I have a few um, coaching options and we have other educators as well can, that can teach you coaching. We have people who have published books that can teach you how to publish books and curriculum. We have people that can teach you how to open a private school, open a daycare, anything that you need to move forward on an idea. We know people who are very thorough with their knowledge of regulations, um, with access to resources, um, whatever they may be. Um, between all of us, we have a, it's it's just this network of, that keeps growing of resources. So we do offer classes. We I'm not gonna give people advice here openly, um, but if you are interested, but for those thinking that it is cheaper to open your own learning pod and have your own kids than it is to pay someone else, I guarantee you it is cheaper to pay someone else than to take it on yourself because the burden of cost then befalls on you and sometimes it does fluctuate. And there's more fluctuation because the economy is shite. Um, so, <laughs> um, so it's one of those parents want this. That's a very um, academic term. It is very academic, right? <laughs> But a lot of parents, you know what, they were told, a lot of people asked, like, if you were given the money, they said we would be gone um, immediately. So it's, yeah, it's incredible, but nothing is off the table. You can build anything. And I am so stoked of what's to come. It's just going to take a while to get there. Um, One example, too, um, if you look at, like, Canva is very popular right now. They've been around for 10 years. So they've been streamlining their process for the last decade, and now they are popular. So it will take time to build, or kind of like, like Airbnb. It was two brothers in a base renting their basement and then created a website. We're like the brothers in the basement, right? <laughs> Grassroots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then after some investment and stuff, they started to evolve. So I want um, everybody to be patient with the evolution of everything um because everything is going to change like from media uh, from rick's uh, thing to education to healthcare. Healthcare is evolving in ways that are quite magical um and yeah we have the resources or no people with the resources that can help you in any way very cool so how many schools do you have right now so or pods or you know just get, get, can you quantify this for me um, so we have, uh, it's hard to quantify. There are literally thousands of options that have started to emerge because not only the freedom that's investing in private, it's also the other side that's has their private uh, entities. And so people, there's, 
Right now we have a few, we have like about 200, but it will grow. I know it'll grow because we have, we've been getting on people's radar. Plus I'm very shadow banned. Anytime I try and upload anything because I make reference like to facts and to articles and to, it takes me like five hours to upload like a 10 minute video. <laughs> so I should probably migrate to Rumble, I guess. Um, uh, so that I can just get some of the truth out there. Yeah. But I also have two little ones. And um, so I people have told me to do a podcast, but one thing at a time, I think, is fair. <laughs> well, well, is there anything else you, you, you'd, you'd like to add or think that I might be missing? Uh, no. So please just be sure to follow us on social media. Give likes, follow the, um, you know, the schools uh offer yourself up like there's only you don't only have to contribute financially you can contribute by sharing you can contribute by volunteering at one of your local alternative schools um by sharing your skill set if you're a grandparent a parent and you just want to uh teach or develop a relationship it's all so important if you have like a few bucks contribute if you have donations contribute any contributions are welcome and warmly received because um, these educators are incredible and I really want people to bear witness and share with your friends and families that um, so they can start to know that anything's possible. And you can start by sharing this video just to spread the word and contact Jeanette if you have questions at info at refounded or refounded.com ca however you choose to pronounce it obviously it's like refound education i think is what you're getting at there uh, so info at refounded.ca and that will go right to jeanette and she'll answer any questions that you have if you have kids that you want to get involved in the in the new system or if you uh have a community group i don't know whatever you have the questions she has the answers i'm just a middleman and uh, I'm so grateful for you coming on here tonight, Jeanette, to explain all of this. Uh, I'm also grateful for your efforts because I see this is very positive. It's constructive. It's a solution. This is exactly the kind of thing that people have talked about, but no, very few people ever actually take action. And that's what you've done. And you're showing people that not only is there hope, there can be affluence prosperity success a bright future ahead all you have to do is create it absolutely and just believe and have some fearless faith in yourself and others that's right that's right jeanette thank you very much jeanette easton everybody thank you so much rick i'm really honored no my my privilege thank you very very much we'll be right back folks on the other side of this the New World Order Government Overreach The Great Reset Mainstream Media Lies Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now, at FreedomReporters.com That's FreedomReporters.com Maverick News The Antivirus Program For Your Mind Okay, everybody, thank you very much to Jeanette uh, for dropping in and 
sharing that story with us tonight. Um, we're going to move on and start talking about the news of the day. And as I told you at the beginning of the newscast, we, uh, we have a lot to share with you tonight. Putin uh, warning us that there you know, is the potential for an actual nuclear conflict if the West sends troops into Ukraine. We'll, we'll show you that. And um, Pierre Polyev, really, really going hard on Justin Trudeau and the liberal NDP coalition government on this Winnipeg biolab security breach, which tonight I would say should be probably the top story in the country. And yet mainstream media not really giving it very much attention at all. But we will when we come back. Another day, another scandal for Justin Trudeau and the governing liberals. Yesterday we told you about these, this, these documents that have finally, after years, they've been released, giving us insight into what really happened, what the story behind the scenes was, uh, with these two scientists that were fired back in 2019. Well, they weren't fired in 2019. I think it was almost a year and a bit later when they were actually fired. But uh, when when it was when these concerns about these two scientists at this Winnipeg Biolab first surfaced, so now these documents have come out. We know more about it, and the way it was described yesterday by Canada's health minister, who took the lead at the news conference on this, as those documents were provided to the public for the very first time, is that he said that it wasn't so much that um, he was chose his words very carefully, very, very carefully. And he danced around the idea that biological samples or information might have been stolen or that anything had been stolen and had then been taken to other countries instead it, it it appears or it appeared yesterday from what he was telling us minister holland was that the the whole thing was really a concern about these two scientists husband and wife working out of this winnipeg biolab who had taken additional work from Entities that connected them directly to foreign governments. Specifically, I think what we're talking about here is China. And in addition to that, the other security concern here is that people from China, from other foreign governments, 
were allowed access to the bio lab facility as well as some of the maybe even computer systems and i don't know possibly even some of the the specimens not really clear but today in the house of commons it uh it was the issue that kicked off question period we'll go to the house of commons now show you what went down there today and then we're going to go to a news conference with Pierre Polyev, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, who really is going hard on Justin Trudeau. So let's pick it up at the beginning here. Question period. This is all like bioweapon stuff. Mr. Speaker, not only did the government neglect national security, not only did they cover up things, they continue to skirt responsibility. Yesterday, the Minister of Health said, no high officials involved in the um, micropology lab will be held responsible. If there's no one responsible, who within the cabinet will know who is responsible? The Honourable Minister of Health. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. At the beginning, it's important to say that health agencies are independent, particularly in terms of national security. And it's our government that created a process to make sure that all the information is available. And it's really important for two Canadian citizens who were very well known as scientists, did bad things like this and there is an investigation underway with the RCMP and this is very important Mr. Speaker. The Honourable Member from Wellington Halton Hills. Mr. Speaker the Canada-China Committee in 2019 could have done exactly the same job as the ad hoc committee did and we could have had the documents three years ago. The CSIS assessments released yesterday make it clear the PRC is and was actively recruiting top Canadian scientists to plunder Canada's research and intellectual property. The assessments also make clear that the PRC wants to weaponize the civilian research for military purposes against us and our allies. Knowing what we know now now, will the government halt all collaboration between the Winnipeg National Microbiology Laboratory and any entities and individuals in the People's Republic of China? The Honourable Minister for Health. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And uh, I want to say that an attack on our national security by foreign nations, be it China or Russia, represents an attack on democracy and represents a direct attack on every member of this House. And that I share his outrage that China or any country would attempt to interfere in our process. The Public Health Agency, which is one of the most respected agencies in the world, hired two Canadian citizens who are eminent, eminent uh, and well-known scientists in Canada who lied. It is the Public Health Agency that discovered that. It is the Public Health Agency that fired them, and that's why there's now an RCMP investigation about their actions. The Honourable Member from Wellington, Halton Hills. The documents, Mr. Speaker, reveal a shocking disregard for Canada's national security. They re reveal a government that is completely asleep at the switch on national security and the machinery of government. They reveal government employees collaborating with Beijing's government and with the biological weapons unit of the People's Liberation Army. Oh. Equally shocking are the health minister's comments. He said yesterday, there, is, there was no evidence of actual breaches at the lab and no sensitive information actually left the country. The documents say otherwise. Does the minister stand by those comments? Yeah. 
The Honourable Minister of Health. Mr. Speaker, the two Canadian scientists in question were well known for their work in virology uh, and had spent uh, their time working on uh, uh, health treatments for those that were suffering from viruses. Uh, their collaboration, there is absolutely no evidence of the thing that the member opposite is suggesting, and I do not think that it is, it is at all appropriate to suggest that they were involved with weaponization or things of this nature. When we're, they have all the documents, they can see all the information. They've been, we have waived all the normal considerations not only of national security, Mr. Speaker, but of uh, employee relationships that normally are kept confidential. It was our government that did that. That's why they have this The Honourable Member from Cumberland, Colchester. Speaker, scientists working with Ebola, Canada's only level four lab, collaborated with the People's Republic of China Army Major General. Sadly, this story does not end there. Dr. Chu was able to gain access to the lab for students from China, and it gets worse, a scientist from the Academy of Military Medical Sciences, the research arm of the PLA, known to work on biology-enabled warfare. How did so many citizens from a hostile superpower gain access to Canada's top lab? Is it because the Prime Minister admires China's basic dictatorship? The Honourable Minister of Health. Attempt to national security concerns to play partisan games. I think that's unfortunate. And let me just give an example. With respect to Ebola, the exchange of Ebola in 2019 was done in the context of trying to work with China and other countries on finding solutions to Ebola, which exists in so many different parts of the country. At that moment in time in 2019, the relationship with China was in a different place. The information that was shared was through legitimate channels. It has nothing to do with this issue. It was absolutely known and handled with complete control. I think it's very, very important to not mischaracterize national security for partisan interests. I'd like to remind all members to ensure that they don't use language which would be unparliamentary directed at any of their colleagues. The Honourable Member from Cumberland Colchester. Speaker, that minister's comments are reckless and untrue. Before March 31st, 2019, the PRC did not have a containment level 4 lab. How can I be so specific about the date? This is the date on which a scientist at Canada's top lab, the National Microbiology Lab, shipped dangerous pathogens, including Ebola virus, to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. This scientist had a history of visiting and collaborating with the PLA since 2016. When did the Minister of Health and the Prime Minister know about the espionage and blatant violation of our sovereignty, and when did they decide to cover it up? Here. The Honourable Minister of Health. The exact opposite of a cover-up occurred is actually this government that created the process that released these documents. So they, ref they actually refused to participate in this process. The second thing that I will say, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker, with respect to our national security interests, that it is essential when we're dealing with national security to recognize two things. That the party opposite is saying that they would support a partisan interference in the Public Health Agency of Canada, that if they were in government, they would see it as acceptable for political interference into that process. No, it's out of arm's length, and rightfully it is at an arm's length. They are the ones that identified these Canadian citizens, these eminent scientists, were lying, and they took action. Order. Okay. So that was what was going on in the House today. Now, Pierre Polyev, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, He's really zeroed in on this. 
what we're talking about here is not only a security breach, but something that, that could have the kind of impact on the world that the pandemic had. Maybe it already has, for all we know. We're talking about a bio lab with dangerous viruses and the possibility here that specimens may have actually been removed. Maybe technology, information uh, obtained by a rival superpower in, in the world, the People's Republic of China. We just came through a pandemic with evidence suggesting that it that the pandemic well we know the pandemic originated in china in wuhan it, it came from there now we're seeing connections between this lab and the prc and we've known about this for some time but now we have more details i've had phone calls from people today just live it and yet the mainstream media, barely mentioning this today, hardly a peep, not certainly not the top story, but what's more important than a possible security breach at a facility that has deadly viruses contained there? What's more important than biotechnology research that could be used to, to potentially create a bioweapon? possibly being stolen and compromised. That is a national security issue. That's a world security issue. Pierre Polyev knows it. And this is very likely to, to be uh, another major issue heading into what could be an election year. Let's go to the news conference now with Pierre Polyev, leader of the PPC. One moment. Getting it set up here for you. And one moment, he's getting through the French. Almost into the English. He always starts with French. Here we go. I think he's going to go to English here now. Pierre Polyev. Cost, the crime, the corruption, and the cover-up. But now we know that he cannot protect our people or our country. We've just received these documents that Trudeau has been covering up for years. Documents related to a massive security breach at the Trudeau government's most sensitive laboratory, where the most dangerous viruses and pathogens are studied and handled. We have learned that the Trudeau government's head of pathogens was collaborating with members of Beijing's People's Liberation Army who are responsible for bioweapons and bioterrorism. We know now that uh, a People's Liberation Army official was able to gain personal access, walk in the door, look at computers, and have access to all of our most important vir virological secrets. Let me, if you think any of this is hyperbole, read the report yourself. 
This is from government documents, the Trudeau government's own documents. It says here on page 142, Winnipeg lab scientist Dr. Chu is head of the special pathogens unit, the top person in that job. According to documents on page 242, quote, represents a serious and credible danger to the government of Canada as a whole, and in particular at facilities considered high security due to the potential for theft of dangerous materials attractive to terrorists and foreign entities that conduct espionage to infiltrate and damage the economic security of Canada, end quote. It states further on page 239, investigators assess that Dr. Chu communicated with foreign entities during her trips to China. The evidence obtained from interviews and from information collected from the electronic content of her devices reveal that this is indeed the case. As a subject matter expert with access to sensitive information and dangerous materials, Dr. Chu presents a realistic and credible threat to Canada's economic security when conducting repeated and clandestine meetings with foreign entities, end quote. Then it says Dr. Chu conducted joint research with the Major General Chen Wei of the People's Liberation Army, who according to page 236, is a noted top virologist at the Academy of Military Medical Scientists and is China's chief biological defense expert engaged in research related to biosafety, biodefense, and bioterrorism. Bioterrorism, end quote. These are, def these are do documents, this is right out of the government's own documents. Trudeau, what did he do when he found out about this? Did he immediately inform Canadians of the breach? Did he fire anybody? No, no one was fired. Did he call an inquiry to get to the bottom of it? No, he didn't do that either. Instead, he covered it all up. He defied four parliamentary orders to release these documents. When the speaker tried to get them, he sued the speaker to cover this up. He said it was all for national security, but well, we know from a committee composed of four members of parliament, including one liberal, and three judges, and I quote, the, the information appears to be mostly about protecting the organization from embarrassment for failures in policy and implementation, not legitimate national security concerns, and its rele release is essential to hold the government to account. In other words, there was no national security reason why we couldn't have had this before. It was only because Trudeau didn't want the embarrassment before an election. So what did he do then? He collaborated, knowing this, he collaborated with Beijing to buy a vaccine for COVID. Could you imagine if the deal that Trudeau wanted to sign with Beijing had gone ahead and we had procured China-made vaccines after learning this information? That's what was in this guy's head. And if you think for a minute, because I know there'll be all kinds of excuses while well, he's not responsible and how could he possibly take ownership of what happens in his government. But let me quote him. Here's a document called Open an Account. Okay, we'll be back right after this message and we'll, uh, we'll continue with the news conference. Feel the vibrations. Our quest continues. 
The truth is out there. We are Mavericks. As the telephone rings, we are called back to Ottawa, where the news conference with Pierre Polyev continues now. Here we go. After learning this information, that's what was in this guy's head. And if you think for a minute, because I know there'll be all kinds of excuses why he's not responsible and how could he possibly take ownership of what happens in his government. Let me quote him. Here's a document called Open and Accountable Government. And I quote, as head of government, the prime minister has special responsibilities for national security, end quote. It's his responsibility. This is his government's lab. It's not a random university lab. It's the top lab for the prime minister's public health agency. And he is exclusively responsible for the machinery of government as prime minister. So this is on Justin Trudeau. I will add one last thing. Not only did he cover it up, not only did he try to get a vaccine from China after knowing this, he called a snap election to make sure that the voting would happen before this came out. What happened in that election? Beijing interfered to help him win it. This is a man who says he admires China's basic communist dictatorship. We cannot trust Justin Trudeau to keep our people and its country safe. We need a strong, conservative, common-sense government that will root out foreign interference, protect our critical secrets and our medical research, and stand on guard for our country to keep our people and our nation safe. Thank you. And now on to Arrive Canada, the other scandal that's uh, front and center. Okay. 
So this is, uh, again, an issue that is definitely going to be a hot-button issue heading into the next federal election. And that could come sometime this year. Has to happen at the latest in early 2025. So we'll stay tuned on this one. This one, super important. We're talking about uh, public safety, public health, life, and death. The information war is raging. Truth without integrity is worth nothing. Maverick News. Because those who have power and those who seek it must be held accountable. The world is watching. Join our family of truth seekers. Donate today and add your voice to the chorus of Maverick Knights. Donate at maverickdonations.com Truth Integrity It's the Maverick way Maverick News The world is watching All right, so tonight as well, we have, well, let me just get this set up here. We have Vladimir Putin in his State of the Union address saying, send, well, sending a very clear message to the West, send in troops to Ukraine and you're running a real risk of a nuclear conflict. Very strong words, not mincing his words at all. Vladimir Putin laying it on the line today, tonight, in his address. So let me bring this up for you. Но теперь последствия для возможных интервентов будут гораздо более трагичны. Они тоже есть оружие, да знают об этом. Сейчас только я сказал, тоже есть оружие. So I assume you're seeing that, and I'm sorry, I just uh, lost control of my tabs here while that was running. Let me requeue it here for you. Let me bring that back up. Hang on. Here we go. Okay, I'm going to requeue it. And for those just listening on our audio podcast, I'll read the subtitles so that you understand what is being said by Vladimir Putin. He says, they are talking about the possibility of sending NATO military contingents to Ukraine. He says, but we remember the fate of those who once sent their contingents to our country. But 
but now the consequences for possible interventionists will be much more tragic. We also have weapons, they know about this, and as I just said, we also have weapons that can tar hit targets in their territory, and they should understand that what they are doing now, trying to scare the whole world, it does risk a conflict with nuclear weapons which means the destruction of civilization. Don't they understand this or what? Very concerning words. It shows you how close we really are. And I, that's not drama. That's not fear-mongering. That's the reality that we are facing right now. And I don't think that, in general, the public is aware of the gravity of the situation. And this is all playing out against a backdrop of geopolitics, information warfare, a Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin going viral online, becoming one of the most significant political interviews of our time, maybe one of the most significant of all time in all of human history. How significant that ends up being will depend on how all of this plays out. Carlson appearing on the Lex Friedman podcast said something that really actually surprised me. Asked about Putin referring to the denazification effort in Ukraine. Carlson's response to that question, very surprising to me. Um, quite critical, actually, of, of uh, Putin's use of that term. Let me uh, bring this up and I'll show you. Here we go. This is, uh, this is the clip. What do you think of Putin saying that justification for continuing the war is denazification. I thought it was one of the dumbest things I'd ever heard. I didn't understand what it meant. Denazification? It literally means what it sounds like. You know, I, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I don't, I hate that whole conversation because it, it's not real. It's just ad hominem. It's a way of associating someone with an evil regime that doesn't exist anymore. What do you think of... See, I sort of agree with that because I think these old labels of communist, fascist, Nazi, they don't really quite mean what they used to because people are aware of what the cliches are. A lot of people who are communists or a lot of people who are Nazis don't call themselves that. They don't use the symbols. So people don't recognize what they really are. They misrepresent themselves. They even mask or cloak their true intentions with revised rhetoric, changes in the words that they use, but the overall messaging remains the same. It's just disguised so people get sucked down and immersed into the ideology without realizing 
what it is they're being indoctrinated into. And Carlson's reference, or I guess even confusion, about the use of the phrase denazification, I think is totally understandable. In Ukraine, you do have pockets of what are very obviously Nazis within the military, and they do have real influence over what is going on over there. We've shown you that. So there's no question that that does exist, as it does in many countries around the world, in a very pronounced way, I think, in, in Ukraine, especially right now during this war. But uh, I, I still tend to agree with what Tucker Carlson just said there. Denazification, what does it really mean? It's, it's like a cliche, because... It's, you know, it's like, uh, what, what, was, what was the phrase? I believe it was Reagan who said, if communism comes to America uh, today or now, it would come in the form of liberalism. You see, that's exactly what we're, we're talking about here. Um, because so many people view communism or fascism or Nazism or even other certain political ideologies in such a negative way, people who embrace those ideologies don't come right out and say, oh yeah, I'm a Nazi. No, 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 no. No, they mask it. They, they, hide, they hide it. Until the time comes, and I can say after October 7th, some of those masks have been coming off, and some of the problems that have been running deep as an undercurrent throughout our society are now beginning to, well, they're, they're being exposed. There's no question about that. But I thought his, his, his response still surprised me, though, because overall, you know, I think that uh, while he was over there, it was almost like watching a, you know, travel show promoting, promoting Russia. He said so many, 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 many positive things about Russia. Nothing very critical at all that I saw. So to hear that, that, that really did surprise me. You know what else surprises me? All this talk about possibly sending troops, Western troops, into Ukraine. In fact, Canada tonight in this Toronto Star article, and I think this is sort of semi-exclusive because the headline is the result and the story is the result of an interview that was done with Canada's defense minister, Bill Blair, by editors and reporters at the Toronto Star. They're saying tonight that under the right conditions, here's the headline, under the right conditions, Canada open to sending non-combat troops to Ukraine Defense Minister Bill Blair says, well, non, sending in non-combat troops easily escalates into we're sending combat troops. It's just further escalation. It says here, Canada is open to sending a limited number of military personnel to train Ukrainian troops within Ukraine, so long as such an, oper so long as such an operation took place far from the front lines of the war, with Russia in a clear non-combat role, Defense Minister Bill Blair says. Well, we've already been heavily involved in training troops, or at least to the degree that our limited Canadian finances will permit. 
And this does refer to this interview that Bill Blair did with the Toronto Star. Talks about um, the security summit that he attended alongside Canada's NATO allies, where French President Emmanuel Macron floated the prospect of sending troops into Ukraine, which resulted in a series of statements from various Western allies, including Canada, who shot that idea down, at least shooting down the idea of sending in combat soldiers. But tonight, Bill Blair saying maybe non-combat soldiers, but it's only a very short step from there, isn't it, folks, to putting soldiers into combat roles? It's a, a progression, an escalation. And even though, you know, some of the pundits continue to say that this whole war is going to be over very quickly, within days, maybe, or even a couple of weeks, or weeks, or months, or whatever. I, I is even though you, as Ukraine loses ground, I think they're holding on, and funding will come. If the funding comes before Ukraine falls as a country, I think we're in for a very prolonged battle, at least another six months, maybe a year. And if there's funding beyond that, it'll continue beyond that. But at some point, I think that they will be forced to come for the sons and daughters in the West, your sons and daughters, our sons and daughters, because the casualties are mounting. Now, what are the real numbers? We've talked about that. I don't know. I'm not really certain. I've heard a wide range of numbers. The reality is, there's no way to know for sure at this point. We're, we're, we will need to wait. A lot of these numbers, I think, have been exaggerated on one side, downplayed a lot, you know, anywhere from like 30, 40,000 casualties, which is what the Ukrainians claimed the other day, to 400,000, which I did hear Colonel McGregor make reference to. I think he's even up higher than that now. And those numbers don't seem to jive when I look at the, the actual numbers. And, uh, you know, and when I dig into the, to the size of the Ukrainian military force, that's, it, maybe it's true. And if that's true, then yeah, this whole thing is pretty much over with. But we see the West... Justin Trudeau stepping up, lining up with more funding, another $3 billion just over the weekend for Ukraine. So the funding is, hasn't stopped. And of course, we know that there is a lot of corruption over there. So a lot of that money, not really sure where it's going. And even the weapons, and we showed you even during the early portion of this conflict that some of the weapons being sent over to Ukraine were ending up on the black market, on the, the, the dark web. We showed you. We found the sites where some of those arms are being sold after being siphoned off from the supply chain feeding the war machine in Ukraine. So is it over? No, I don't think so. And neither is the war in Gaza. And isn't it uh, interesting to see that Israel breaking away from its friendly ties with Russia 
it has been, you know, kind of friendly, but in this address to the UN, Israel comes out hard against Russia, condemning Russia's attack on Ukraine. Focuses attention on the alliance between Russia and Iran. And Iran, uh, Israel now, uh, and I hope I wasn't mis-, mis I have to think back to what I was just saying. I think I was referring to Israel. Israel, I hope I was saying the right thing. Um, Israel addressing the United Nations and now calling Ukraine an ally. This doesn't surprise me at all. I've been saying that the battle lines were, were, were drawn during the early portion of this conflict in Gaza and well before, even, well, I think a long time before, honestly. It's just that now they're becoming clearer. You can see them. And what you have is Russia aligned with Iran, Arab nations in the Middle East, hunkered down and directly opposed to Israel. Russia supporting Hamas, Hezbollah, the Palestinian military effort in Gaza. And on the other side, you have the United States supporting Israel. And then you know how the alliances shake out over in Ukraine. And to some people, this seems maybe surprising. Not so much to me. It makes absolute sense. In fact, I would say that this shift, or maybe I'll call it clarification, this clarification of support from Israel for Ukraine was ultimately inevitable because of Russia's position supporting Iran, which then supports the Palestinian position in Gaza through Hamas. I see the whole situation in Gaza as a response to what happens, has been happening in Ukraine. So you can assess it in different ways, but there is now no denying where the battle lines are being drawn. It's, it's, it's become very clear just within the last 24 hours. Let's uh, take a look at this clip from the UN and what Israel had to say there.
Are you guys in the chat telling me you're not getting any audio? Is that still the case right now? Can you hear me? I'll just look in the chat here to see if that's the case. I just happened to glance over. So you have no audio? No audio on that clip? No, what can you hear audio on the microphone? You hear me, but not the video. Very, very weird. All right. I don't understand that at all. Very odd. Okay. Well, um, very strange technical things have been happening here. So I'll tell you what. Um, yeah. Helena says CIA. <laughs> Could be. It usually is. Whenever anything technical or bad, bad happens, it's usually the CIA. CIA is, is, is responsible for all the bad things that happen. All the bad things. So you're not hearing this clip at all. You can't hear that guy? Not the video. Isn't that strange? Okay. All right. So let me just give you the, the short version. So he's saying, well, here, I'll skim through this. And I will tell you what this speaker is saying at the UN. Okay. So what he's saying is that Israel has been standing in solidarity with Ukraine, but now making it official. He's also saying that they understand the situation in Ukraine or can relate to it because, like Ukraine, he's saying Israel is under constant attack. That's his take on this. I know that in this address to the UN, he makes reference to Vladimir Putin and Russia hosting um, Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Houthis that he describes as terror organizations, saying that it's really the only place in the world where that can happen. Talks about the October 7th attack, the, uh, the impact that that had on Israel. It says that Israel is now working to provide Ukraine, um, or w is willing to provide Ukraine with early warning systems to save civilian lives from missile and drone attacks because Israel has particular expertise in that area since they have to live under an iron dome because they are under and have been under constant missile attack for for decades so he says and he is making reference here now to the October 7th attack and uh, the, the deaths there that resulted in Israel from that attack. 
talks about um, the um, the effort to preserve Israel's sovereignty as a nation state and uh, also seems to find some similarities with what is going on in Ukraine. And technically, yes, that is one of the main, that is maybe at the heart of the issue uh, from the one perspective is national sovereignty. Does Ukraine, does Israel have a right to exist as a nation state? Indeed, that is really at the heart of all of this, isn't it? But can a nation state, and he's not, I'm not saying he's saying this, I'm saying this now, but can a nation state like Ukraine just exist any way that it wants when it's living right on the doorstep of a superpower? And the situation in Israel is somewhat different. Different location, totally different uh, set of circumstances there. Um, but the overarching issue is should they have the right to self-determination as a nation state and there here he is referring to Russia's support for Iran he uh, goes on and talks about Hamas and of course the visit there this week to uh, to Moscow talks about Iran Syria the Assad government and I'm sorry you, you can't get the audio on this I don't know what the problem is I am going to need to uh, figure out the technical end on that because it should be pumped in there So he says, uh, Israel and Ukraine are the canaries in the coal mine to the rest of the free world. He says, wake up, wake up, wake up. I understand the perspective. I also understand the, uh, the opposite points of view. And the solution's not easy. Texas... The wildfires down there continue to rage. So much land lost. Or maybe not the land itself, but what's on it. Homes. Cattle. And we'll bring up a little bit of video here. This is now, I believe... It's the second, I think it's the second largest wildfire in American history and now the largest wildfire in the history of the state of Texas. Yesterday we were at um, originally, I think it was 450, then just over 500,000 acres burned, then... Before we signed off last night, the number was revised upward again to 850,000 acres burned. Now, tonight, just moments ago, I'm seeing an update coming in here. Now, well over 1 million acres 
burned in these wildfires in Texas. Where the weather has been warm and dry, creating conditions that uh, are conducive to combustion and the spread of fire and made even worse because of high winds. And we are seeing emergency crews doing their best to, uh, to respond, but in some areas they can't even get in to assess things. And the smoke is just unbelievable, as you can see. Aerial shot there, showing the extent, how widespread these wildfires are down in Texas. As I said last night, here in Canada, in western provinces like Alberta, they are already zeroed in on the wildfire risk, which they expect will be high, very high again this season. Last year, massive wildfires in western Canada spewed smoke all over North America. The smoke from those wildfires went down as far as New York City causing haze, a yellow haze in the air, as you may recall. And officials in Western Canada saying, brace yourselves because another rough wildfire season appears to be ahead of us. The question I have is, will the government be prepared this time? Will they have adequate resources in place? It certainly didn't seem like they had adequate resources last year, given that they've had now all winter and the spring to prepare. I would say there really should be no excuse. But of course, you have this new government now with Danielle Smith in Western Canada, in Alberta. We'll see how she responds under fire. The information war is raging. Truth without integrity is worth nothing. Maverick News. Because those who have power and those who seek it must be held accountable. The world is watching. Join our family of truth seekers. Donate today and add your voice to the chorus of Maverick Nights. Donate at maverickdonations.com Truth Integrity. It's the Maverick way. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, I am just checking the news wires here, and um, I see that uh, former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney has passed away at the age of 84 tonight. This is a breaking news story just coming in this evening.
According to the reports here tonight, he was... surrounded by friends and family and passed away peacefully. He was also a divisive political figure in his day. I met him a few times, covered the campaign when he was first elected, covered the election where the issue of free trade was really the main issue and that was the issue of free trade is still having impact today in really serious ways that free trade agreement had serious implications for Canada Still playing out. Trump renegotiating NAFTA, turning it into the USMCA. United States-Mexico trade agreement. US, M's, US, United States-Mexico-Canada agreement, I guess is what it is. I forget. I shouldn't forget that, but yeah, it's the USMCA replacing NAFTA. And... Uh, I remember some people viewing Brian Mulroney at the time when free trade was the, the pivotal issue in that federal election, saying that he was a visionary. Others at that time accusing him of being treasonous, betraying the country. Many people still viewing it that way, even as he passes away today. He won the leadership of the Conservatives in 1983. And then the next year became Prime Minister. Won a huge majority. Free trade, free trade. He was, uh, I remember him as well, you know, sitting there with the President of the United States singing when Irish eyes are smiling. Yep. With Ronald Reagan. At the uh, 1985 Shamrock Summit in Quebec City. I remember. Oh, did that ruffle the feathers of people on the left at the time, the NDP, <laughs> New Democrats, liberals. I remember, uh, oh, they just viewed Brian Mulroney at the time as being, uh, well, they would, uh, the word Nazi was thrown around a few, you know, quite loosely at the time, but that wasn't unusual. It hasn't been unusual. Um, and I hate to even use that word in reference to him here tonight uh, upon his passing. I just bring it up because of what Tucker Carlson said. You know, these phrases, I've seen the, 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 the phrase Nazi used so loosely over the years to smear political candidates and politicians and people using it to smear their political opponents to the point where now 
the phrase has really been watered down. It does, it, it, it's, it does the public a disservice, I think, by using it so often and so loosely. But I am a little off topic. Bram O'Rooney. Dead tonight at the age of 84. Now, because we're having these audio issues, we will wrap it up a little bit early tonight so that I can figure out what the heck has gone wrong with the audio system so that you weren't hearing the clips come through, or at least that one. So I will figure that out so that I can return tomorrow night. And we have another special guest booked for tomorrow. The proprietor of an online dating service for the unvaccinated. So you're not going to want to miss that because that is a very unusual service. Again, people being proactive and taking steps to build something of a parallel society with parallel services designed specifically for freedom-focused people. So another special Maverick News broadcast tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Maverick News channel, where we have the antivirus programs for your mind. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Catch you tomorrow night on the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.